Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts... Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the co-main event mixed martial arts podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists. And for the last 11 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, it's International Fight Week. Congratulations to all who celebrate. We're coming off a weekend where Sean Strickland went out there and got a big win over Abbas Magomedov at this UFC Fight Night event. We're going to talk about that some coming up in this show. And we're headed into this weekend where UFC 290 goes down at T-Mobile Arena down there in Las Vegas as usual dueling championship fights atop this UFC pay-per-view card. Alexander Volkanovsky and Yair Rodriguez is going to try to unify the strangely ununified men's featherweight title. You got Brandon Moreno and Alexander Pantoja going at it for the men's flyweight title. And then a decent little undercard here. Bobby Knuckles, Jalen Turner, Bo Nickel, Robbie Lawler all up on this card. Jimmy Crute down there. So, you know, this would be a good one to tune in for. If you've been saving your cash, getting ready for a UFC pay-per-view that was worth investing in, Ben, it was almost exactly a year ago last year. We were down there in Las Vegas meeting with some of the co-maniacs during last year's International Fight Week. I got to tell you, we didn't pull it off again this year, although I know that there is a significant contingent of the CME faithful going down there to watch UFC 290. I got to say, now that the week is here, I feel a little regretful, man. I feel a little regretful to be sitting up here in Montana instead of braving the the desert heat to go down there and see the people and take in UFC 290 either live or at least on location somewhere in Vegas. You're really sitting around right now wishing you were melting in 120 degree heat. 
I mean, that's not totally the part that I miss. <laughs> you miss. I know what but, you miss. You miss when you went on down to Fremont Street and a couple of dominatrixes slapped their handcuffs on your wrists and wouldn't let you go until you gave them a tip. That does. That did happen. That is something that'll <laughs> happen to you on Fremont. Apparently, a couple of ladies dressed like cops uh, will come and they'll put the handcuffs on you and then they won't let you out till somebody gives them money. It's like, it's like literal extortion. Yeah. They have a the word streets for of that. Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've heard about the organized crime down there in Vegas. I had never experienced it myself until the, until those two ladies locked me up and wouldn't let me out until actually one of the patrons ponied up some money. So that was, it was a good for me. I got a scot free when you think of it that way. <laughs> you know, I appreciate how you have refused to let yourself be a victim. You, re- you refuse to adopt a victim mentality here. Although I yeah. do think that you were harmed uh, psychologically, perhaps irreparably. That's and something and my reputation after the pictures showed up on social media. Now, if you'll recall, last fight week, the one that we were down there watching this one for, uh, first of all, shout out Red, White, and Fight Week. Wouldn't wouldn't be a f- international fight week if we didn't at least utter the phrase. But, you know, when we got to the actual card itself, the headliners and everything, a little bit of a ho-hum matchup between... Uh, Israel Adesanya and Jared Cannonier at that one, a good fight, uh, but kind of a one-sided one uh, between Alexander Volkanovsky and Max Holloway on this one. Here, we're coming in a little lower wattage in, in terms of pure star power, but when I look at this main card, I see a lot of Woodwatch fights here. I think yeah. we, we, we might be about to have ourselves a good time with this one. How How's your hype level? It's pretty high. I got to be honest with you. I think you you said it correctly. This looks like it's a pretty fun main card. Of course, you know, if you're if you're balling on a budget out there, what you got to anticipate is that we got two pretty stacked UFC pay-per-views coming up in the month of July. You got UFC 290, of course, this weekend, and then they mix in a couple of fight nights. But then we're headed into UFC 291 headlined by uh, Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje. That's July 29th. So just a few weeks from now it's also got Jan Blahovich versus Alex Pereira and Tony Ferguson versus Bobby Green and then you're going to get the secret juice Paulo Costa on that card as well this is actually you know Michael Chiesa Kevin Holland Derek Lewis uh Marcos Rogerio de Lima Stephen Thompson versus Michelle Pereira they're having Stephen Thompson fight Michelle Pereira Ben Folks at one of these events so it's going to be the karate kid against cartwheel flippy guy <laughs> That's, I mean, you're, that's not going to be one you want to miss. So two, you know, we criticize the UFC when we think they deserve to be criticized, but two banger UFC pay-per-views in the month of July alone. So figure that into your budget as you proceed this maybe, month. Maybe the thing you want to do is put some money down on UFC 290 so that you can win with your winnings. You can purchase UFC 291. How about that? Yeah. Or... Just don't blow it all on fireworks. Well, that's another. Why don't you just tell me not to live? God damn it. I'll figure out different ways to tell you not to live every chance I get, Ben, folks. Remember, you're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast proper. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free in all your timelines and podcast libraries. But this isn't it. This is not the whole shebang. You can find the Co-Main Event, Ben, folks, and myself all week over on Patreon. Hit us up at patreon.com slash co-main event. Get loads of extra audio and video content, as well as access to our official Discord message board. People are joining all the time. I just sent out a couple of 
invite links to t- new members of the Patreon this morning before we started recording this. The coolest people in MMA are constantly chatting it up over there. And as everybody knows, the only rule on the board, no assholes. So come check us out. We got the live chat on Wednesday where we answer your questions. We got Thursday's Doing the Damn Thing podcast where we take a break from MMA and talk about other stuff going on in the world. And hey, man, speaking of bangers, we've had a couple of really great doing the damn things right in a row. I talked to noted MMA artist Chris Rinney, who works over at Bloody Elbow, about his family's decision about 18 months ago to move away from America and into Denmark. And then last week, we talked to former Cage Potato boss, the oldest Ben of them all, Ben Goldstein, about his recent run on Jeopardy, where he became a five-day champion and qualified for the Tournament of Champions, or, as I learned, that we call it in the Jeopardy subculture, the TOC. Yeah, he's up in the TOC. He went out there, qualified for the TOC, and coming up every Friday on the Patreon, we got the co-main event podcast, Patreon Power Hour, where we get we get you just stoked at the last minute for the weekend's MMA action. So check us out over there. We think it's a good product at a reasonable price. Patreon.com slash co-main event. If you also want to help out the podcast, you can hit up our new merchandise site. That is at our website, co-mainevent.com. You head over there, click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says shop. You'll find old favorites like the original Dundasso t-shirt designs, the old school cowboy astronaut cigarettes merch. You can also find a lot of cool new stuff like Are You Fucking Kidding Me shirts, shirts for the MMA gods and of course the best seller the hottest seller on the market the Bobby Knuckles t-shirt head over to the shop at comainevent.com and check all that stuff out as everybody knows we partner with our friends at Superconductor on the shop they are a brand and design studio from Portland Oregon you've seen their work for a long time on the CME maybe you just didn't know it we can't recommend them highly enough for all your design needs hit them up at studiosuperconductor.com or on Instagram at Studio Superconductor. We got music this week from longtime CME listener, beloved patron Doug Ty, aka Spider Fighting. He describes his music as instrumental beat music that straddles the non existent line between aging indie dork and backpack boom bap. Backpack boom and bap. And I think it's pretty cool. If you like what you hear on the show, you can check out more over at soundcloud.com slash spider fighting all one word three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast in round number one sean strickland said he had a coward inside him but he overcame an early eye poke to score his as this a patron texted me over the weekend to make this joke ben folks sean strickland got his first stoppage victory since tv was black and white over there against Abbas Magomedov. So we'll talk about that. In round number two, you could argue men's featherweight is the most competitive and interesting weight class in the UFC right now. Any chance Yair Rodriguez fucks this whole shit up, you guys? And in round number three, Brandon Moreno, Bobby Knuckles, Jalen Turner, and this unheralded young underdog named Bo Nickel. That should make UFC 290 a nice little party. We discuss all that, plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Old Crow. Okay. Which I believe is a whiskey. I think there's Old Crow as a whiskey. Apparently also a person. Yeah. They write, has there ever been a worse octagon return than the one Kevin Lee had tonight. They mean Saturday. 
over here at the UFC Fight Night event. Kevin Lee, after a fairly lengthy absence from the UFC, uh, where he went out, he got one win at Eagle FC against Diego Sanchez in March of 2022. Prior to that, he'd lost two in a row in the octagon. He returns on Saturday. I, I said this leading up, man. You're not doing Kevin Lee any favors with matching him up against Renat Fakhradinov, probably sl- just slaying that guy's name every time I say it. But he's a good fighter. He's an up-and-coming guy in this welterweight division, and he floors Kevin Lee with a strike and then chokes him unconscious with a guillotine choke, Ben, in 55 seconds Yeah, into the first round. So Kevin Lee's return to the UFC, not it's not how he drew it up, probably. Not how he drew it up on the whiteboard before he headed out there for the fight. And there really wasn't a single moment of this that went well for Kevin Lee. Yeah. Because right off the bat, he was getting pasted with some stiff jabs, just in the early seconds of this one, clearly it was, seemed like he was bothered by it. He was just a little too slow, uh, getting caught really cleanly right away in that first minute. And then uh, one of those jabs had that stiff right hand, just a clean right hand behind it, dropped him, put him out with the guillotine trope. I mean, I don't know. This seems unconfirmed, but I saw it come across the Twitter timeline, just as we were about to do this, that somebody claiming that Kevin Lee has been released by the UFC, which... That I mean, I'm not saying that's not true. That would be quick. That would be really quick to bring the guy back. He loses one fight Monday morning. You release him. Usually they, they might wait a little bit longer. I don't know. Maybe they felt like they saw all they needed to see or that he he did the J-O-B they were hoping for when they signed him <laughs> up for this fight. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that that didn't go great, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, if they did release him, I got a, I got a little feeling that they did Kevin Lee dirty here bringing him back in for one fight, making him fight a super tough guy in his return. He gets absolutely pasted in under a minute, and then you release a guy. That's cold. That would be some cold-ass business from the UFC and would almost make you feel like they knew exactly what they were doing the whole time. Yeah, I mean, again, if that's true. Uh, could it be, though, that, like, instead of jumping straight to the Kevin Lee is washed and will never be good again narrative that a lot of people are yeah. going to want to jump on because that's just how MMA fans do, could it be that Kevin Lee hasn't fought in over a year, been out of the UFC for a while, you come back, you you know, maybe you got a little bit of jitters, maybe you're just a little bit rusty, a guy gets after you early on, and before you have a chance to really settle into the fight and find your legs, he's dropped you and thrown a choke on you. Like, yeah. could it be that, that maybe this is not, the, just, just this one fight does not tell us everything we need to know about the potential for Kevin Lee on and on forever? Yeah, it's possible. I mean, he is 30 years old. 30. He's been in the game. He's been in the game for 11 years. He's got 27 fights. He's so he's got some miles on him, but not crazy. You know what I mean? Like he's not old. He's not getting up there into the into the situation where you'd think maybe he would start to lose some of his skills. He's got a fair number of fights, but he's, you know, he's he ain't exactly Jim Miller or anything like that, right? He's not up there at like 40 fights or whatever. Uh, the only thing I would say as a word of caution is that he is now two and five Oof. in his last seven. Although those losses, man, uh, Al Iaquinta back in 2018, then Rafael Dos Anjos, Charles Oliveira, and Daniel Rodriguez. So some pretty good fighters that he was coming up against. And, you know, we don't know how good. I'm just going to call him Renat 
so I don't have to deal with the last name. Uh, we don't know how good that dude is yet. He's been very, very good, and he seems like yet another one of these guys that the UFC might be bringing along and, and is destined for big things. So it's possible we won't know exactly how to classify this Kevin Lee loss for a couple more fights for the other guy until we figure out how good that dude is. Yeah. Still rough and tough assignment yep. for your boy, Kevin Lee coming back to the UFC. Next question this week comes to us from Jackson Falkenberg, who I assume is like a civil war general <laughs> or something. He writes after somewhat randomly tuning into this UFC fight night, I was surprised to learn that's nine wins in a row now for this guy named Grant Dawson. Guess I should figure out who this guy is. Uh, Grant Dawson. It's not nine wins in a row, actually, for Grant Dawson. Uh, it's nine wins in a row for in the UFC. It's 12 wins in a row, I think, for Grant Dawson, if you count his Dana White Contender Series win and a couple of independent shows before that, Kansas City Fighting Alliance being one of them. But yeah, he is now undefeated in the UFC. It's actually, if you want to be specific about it, he did have a majority draw against Ricky Glenn back in October of 2021. So uh, according to AP style, we would say 11 wins without a loss is how we would characterize that. But if you want to say that many wins in a row, I'm not really going to stop you. Uh, he looks unbelievable, or at least he did in this fight against Demir Osmogulov. Just went out there absolutely suffocating unanimous decision win 30-26 and then 30-27, 30-27 did not really give Ismagulov a chance to do much at all aside for a little bit of success early in the second round with some striking. But, uh, you know, I will say about Grant Dawson, a thing that I often say about the lightweight division, here is yet another 29-year-old, 155-pound absolute murderer that the UFC can add to its ranks that, you know, it's already lightweight and featherweight, probably the two most competitive, most stocked, deepest divisions. And it's just like every time you turn around, there's some dude who seems like he might be incredibly good just fighting on an undercard of a UFC fight night, still trying to make their way in the world. Yeah. Uh, you watch this guy fight. I don't know if I've ever seen anybody who just likes to just will camp out on your back. For yeah. an entire fight, and there's really yeah, not just, a whole lot you can do about it other than just you know try what? not to get choked. Make it fucking miserable yeah. for you the whole time. That's the poor Demir Ismagulov, man. This is we talked about Kevin Lee having a rough night. Getting choked unconscious in 55 seconds might not be as bad as having Grant Dawson squeeze your guts with a with a body triangle for 15 minutes in a row. I believe Grant Dawson had 12 minutes of ground control time in a 15 minute fight which is pretty impressive. And he's like, he's elbowing him. He's punching him. He's trying to choke him. Motherfucker went for a full Nelson <laughs> at one point in this fight. Got him in the Billy Jack Haynes superstar Billy Graham full Nelson at one point. And Demir Ismagulov is just making this face like, wow, this sucks. This is much shittier than I expected it to be. Uh, now, having seen that fighting style, do you want to guess what method Grant Dawson has won most of his fights by? Without looking, I would say probably uh, submission and decision. Uh, 
Get even more specific. Do you think you could maybe pinpoint oh, R- a submission? RNC? Do you think maybe he's a big <laughs> RNC fan? Because he was, if anything, I thought Demir Ismagulov's defense was pretty impressive in this fight because he was doing a lot of stuff to stop Grant Dawson from getting that choke. And he never did get it where he was. Dawson was just fucking relentless trying to lock that thing on. So good job, I guess. By Ismagulov, I don't know if that is a moral victory to go back to the locker room and be like, well, 30-26 on one card, but at least I didn't get choked. You know what I mean? Well, that's more than his previous two opponents can say. He, he got the, the RNC on Mark Madsen. Before that, he got the RNC on Jared Gordon. 11 times in his pro career, he has finished a fight with a rear naked choke, Chad. And that's, yeah. he's got 20 wins. 13 of them were by submission. Of those 13, 11 where we were naked chokes. So that's a guy who knows what he likes to do when he gets yeah. in there. You're right, though, that, like, you got to find something where you can give this guy to where we know him as somebody other than just a guy we forget about until he shows up and we go, oh, yeah, this guy. I remember this guy is super good. But then as soon as he's out of sight, out of mind. You know, yeah. you, you got to find something else for him to do. And it seems like there are those opportunities if you want them. I mean... I'll just, I'm just going to throw some stuff out there, Chad. I'm just going to, there's just one man talking, you know, that's all this is. But like, what if you could give a guy like Grant Dawson, a guy like Patty Pimblett? Oh, wow. Okay. Jeez. What did Patty Pimblett, Pimblett ask you to hang his coat up uh, at a, at a party? Did he <laughs> think you were the help? What happened, Ben folks? How did Patty Pimblett piss you off like this? Because... You might as well feed that kid into a wood chipper. I'm just saying. Sending him out there to fight Grant Dawson. That's some mean ass shit, That is one folks. of the better areas of Patty Pimlet's game, is supposedly, is his submissions game. It's not his stand-up. We saw that when Jared Gordon kept pacing him with the same punch over and over again that he couldn't seem to figure out. They both got wins over Jared Gordon somewhat recently. One of them more legitimate than the other. But hey, Patty Pimlet's supposed to be a big-time dude, right? Big-time guy, very famous, all that kind of shit. Throw him in there with Grant Dawson. Let's see who the real star is. You know what I'm saying? I am going to write Patty Pimblett a professional letter of warning after this conversation. Dear Mr. Pimblett, I recently had a troubling conversation with my (laughs) podcast partner, Ben Folks, that I felt it is my duty to let you know about. I thought you were going to say, like, give Grant Dawson a feather boa and a top hat. Like, that's how we're going to remember him. Not let's schedule Patty Pimblett for a public execution. Jesus Christ, you bloodthirsty maniac. Listen, if there is a stylistic matchup that is a little more favorable for Patty Pimlet, it might be a guy who wants to get on your back and choke you. Patty Pimlet, that that ought to be what he's able to deal with. If you throw him in there against somebody who has good takedown defense and actually sharp striking, that's the one where he gets absolutely fucking murdered. Just saying. That's not a good faith argument from you. <laughs> Listen, I'm not suggesting it because I think Patty Pimlet going to win the fight. I'm just saying, if you want to give Grant Dawson, these guys a little bit more of a spotlight because they are actually legitimately good, give him a fight that people are going to pay attention to. Not Demir Ismagulov in the co-main event of a extremely forgettable <laughs> fight night card. Yeah, just At the goddamn apex. what you just said about, wow, they, you're not going to be allowed to go back to England. Your passport will be revoked. Uh, you know what's weird about the lightweight division, kind of, is that you've got you've. It feels like you got this group of veteran title contenders 
who are playing musical chairs with whoever gets the title shot. It's like they it's like there's collusion. It's like they decided, hey, you know what? Let's just all fight each other. And therefore, none of us will have to fight any of these young guys that seem like absolute murderers. We'll just we'll lock the door and we'll sit in here and we'll all just trade the title back and forth. Yeah. Next question this week comes to us from Kelly Creighton, who writes, I know you guys love talking about how huge Alex Pereira is, so I will give you another opportunity. I know you saw this guy standing next to Parker Porter discourse. Did you have you seen this picture of Alex Pereira standing next to UFC heavyweight Parker Porter? They're saying Alex Pereira is rolling around at a svelte and lean 230 pounds right now. And there he is making uh, Parker Porter look like a kid who came into the gym to take his picture with Alex Pereira. Well, first of all, we appreciate hearing from uh, noted author Kelly Creighton. Um, okay. I did not see this picture. I did see the stuff about, uh, who was it, Glover saying that Alex Pereira was 230 pounds and lean. Yeah. Uh, I also saw somebody, I don't know who it was, if it was some other light heavyweight, maybe it was even like Jamal Hill or somebody being like, I don't know, I don't think that guy's going to have the same pop up at 205. That, and it's just like, really? You sure about that? Because that's a big dude, and now you're going to tell me he doesn't have to make a brutal weight cut? I think <laughs> there's a good chance he has every bit as much pop when he shows up there. Uh, I mean, the question of whether he'll be able to take some of those shots just as easily from light heavyweights as he did from middleweights, that's a fair question. The question of whether he could be more easily out-wrestled by guys closer to his size, sure. But that's still going to be a guy you do not want to get hit by at 205 pounds. Yeah. You should look the picture up if you haven't seen it, if you're not looking at it right now. Now, Parker Porter is a smallish UFC heavyweight. He's only six feet tall, so he's not it's not like he's out there as a towering force. But we have already seen the picture of Alex Pereira standing next to Dominic Reyes. And that was, you know, that was our first indication that here's a huge man. But now he's just he's dwarfing UFC heavyweight Parker Porter in this picture. Okay, I'm looking at it now. I mean, the the CME is on the front lines of looking at pictures of Alex Pereira standing next <laughs> to other people and noting that he is a large, scary man. So, yeah, I'm glad that we we could stay abreast of this discourse that we didn't miss this one um, because it is true. Like that, that's a big boy, Chad Dundas. That's a big yeah, boy, Alex Pereira. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I would. I'm. It's just get more and more scared every time I see a picture of him standing next to another UFC fighter. Uh, next question this week comes to us from Charles Darwin. Okay. Yeah. So that's not one we need to look up. <laughs> we know who that guy is. We got that he one. writes, gentlemen, did we see Eddie Hearn? Did we see where Eddie Hearn thinks Tyson Fury is going to fight Francis Ngannou in an exhibition fight with, quote, no knockdowns or anything? Three question marks. I guess it's good if Ngannou gets paid, but how much would the pillow-fisted stipulation of this fight being an exhibition take away from the excitement? A lot. I'm saying a lot. That's what Charles Darwin says on the issue. I did see this, and who knows if Eddie Hearn is hashtag just saying stuff, but this, I mean, yeah, I agree. Like, the the promise of a Francis Ngannou heavyweight boxing match would be... He's probably going to get his ass kicked. But what if he puts one of them big ham hocks on somebody else's face? Like if he if he landed one, if he got one off and it found the mark, then maybe things get interesting. So if you're going to have a 
an exhibition fight with no knockdowns or anything, as Eddie Hearn says here, uh, that, that does take some of the steam out of it for me, especially if you're fighting a guy who fights like Tyson Fury. Like, yeah. you might as well just ad- agree to like to 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 a, an, a Tyson Fury style fight. That's what that is, where he just gets to stand there 30 yards away from you and poke you with those insanely long arms for however long this exhibition is. Here's the caveat I would note here. This comes from Eddie Hearn, right? I'm reading it from MMA Fighting, who, who quotes an interview with Boxing Social. And they're asking Eddie Hearn about this rumors that there's going to be a fight, that, that Fury's next fight will be with Francis Ngannou. He says, yes, I believe that's going to happen. This is what I've heard. It'll be an exhibition, apparently. No knockdowns or anything. I don't know. I'm only telling you what I've heard. Who knows what's what. But I think that is, apparently, what's going to be the next fight for Fury. It's disappointing, but it is what it is. It's disappointing to Eddie Hearn because he wants his guy, Alexander Usyk, to fight Tyson Fury next. So we're hearing it from the guy who doesn't want it to happen. Who wants a different fight to happen. And so... If he says, I'm not saying he's necessarily wrong or that he's lying about it, but for him to be like, oh, it's going to be an exhibition, not that interesting, no real fight, no real trying to hurt each other out there kind of thing. He he might have a motivation to want to undercut this one because it would not make a ton of sense to me. Like, why book those guys and be like the two biggest, scariest fighters in combat sports and they will not be seriously trying to hurt each other? Please give us 100 of your dollars or whatever the pay-per-view price would be. That that would seem to just completely undercut the whole thing. Like, why bother? And yeah, I don't know, like, who's for whose benefit would we be doing that? Because I don't feel like Tyson Fury would be like, I'll fight that guy, but only if it's an ex- exhibition and he promises not to really try to punch me. And I don't think Francis Ngannou would have that either. So I don't know who that would really serve to do it that way. And that's why, along with Eddie Hearn's possible motivations, I have some doubts. The other thing I will say about that, Chad Dundas, is a lot of people don't remember that when Ivan Drago killed Apollo Creed in the ring, <laughs> that was technically an exhibition bout. Yeah, that is a great point. That is a great Just point. Just saying. And then that forced the reigning heavyweight champion of the world to give up his title and spend probably a five-minute montage driving the streets in his Ferrari, mm-hmm. having a crisis of conscience before he decides to go to Russia and train in the snow to fight Ivan Drago. So yeah, that's a, you know what? You made the you made the best point. That's the... That's the that's the point to make here. I just don't want us to lose sight of it. Exhibitions can be quite dangerous. <laughs> you can get killed. Uh, Especially if, if you don't the throw case, the damn towel. You got to throw the damn yeah, towel. Yeah. No, I know. That's uh, that's that's what I think what the, the Ferrari ride was about. Trying to work out his guilt about not throwing the towel. If Francis Ngannou is going to engage in an exhibition, no knockdowns or anything fight with Tyson Fury, he better get his money up front. I don't think he should be like, yeah, I'll wait on the pay-per-view points for that one. Get that money and put it in your pocket before you go out there to have a uh, a fake fight with Tyson Fury because a lot of people aren't going to be fooled Yeah, with what that's going to be. All right, that's going to do it for Listener Mail this week. If you've got a question, comment, or concern that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to our website, comainevent.com, and hit up the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. You click that, and that'll get you in touch with us. As for right now, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one.
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, Ben, Abbas Magomedov came out of the corner like a house of fire, poked Sean Strickland right in the eyes. The old two-finger, three stooges poke in the eyes, which we've been seeing going around a little bit in MMA these days. Pretty significant eye poke on Sean Strickland. I'm going to say within the first 20 seconds, 25 seconds of the fight, something like that. Uh, not a lengthy delay, two or three minutes. But after it was over, Sean Strickland said that he was, he was pacing back and forth over there by the cage thinking about quitting thinking about maybe we just call this thing off and I go home. I walk three blocks back to my house from the apex. <laughs> but then he heard the fans. He heard the fans in the arena well, shout shit at him like, like, let's go. Enough of this fucking break. Hey, you pussy, let's fight. I don't know. Stuff that the fans normally shout at you after you've been poked in the eye. And he decided, okay, we got to do this. We got to go back out there. And he does. And he ends up scoring the second round TKO victory over Abbas Magomedov. Four minutes and 20 seconds into the second round. Nets himself a performance of the night bonus to go along with that. So an extra 50 Gs. And honestly, that first round belonged to Magomedov. He was throwing heavy body kicks, heavy low kicks, heavy strikes. And then that was kind of all he had. Strickland came out in the second round. Maybe he got some, some fucking fight oracle style advice from chris curtis in the corner maybe we can talk about that a little bit too because it seemed like maybe chris curtis unlocked the secret of how to beat abbas magomedov here but sean strickland comes out of his corner to start the second hits him with like a one-two combo and an uppercut and from then on magomedov was basically like just counting the seconds until he would fall down and become victim to a tko stoppage yeah it was really a tale of two rounds there because it was it was all one way in the first round and then pretty much at right away to start the second round. Very different vibe. A real vibe shift, you yes, might say, yeah. in the second Sean round. Sean Strickland got, it, they got the vibes right in the second round, and that was all she wrote. Well, and you could see it on Amos's face where he was just kind of like, wait a minute, what's, what's happening here? I, I was feeling good, and now I'm feeling not so good. But my chances here in this fight. I am curious, though, I mean... Maybe one of the benefits of the Apex is that the fans, such as they are, could really make themselves heard in a situation like this. It's not just a wall of sound of human voices the way it is when there's you know 15,000 people there. It's like 40 people. So each individual voice could really ring out with what they think that you should do. Also, though, the fans are more likely to be, you know, 
somebody's family or friends that you could just be yeah. like, oh, I know, I you know you. I, if you're saying some shit to me that I don't like, we, I can find you later and talk about it. So <laughs> that is a little bit of a different situation. Uh, I can also see, though, that calculation because you're in that kind of fight. You're like, shit, if it's a bad eye poke, it could really compromise your chances of winning this fight. At the same time, you're the main event. You know they're kind of counting on you. It just started, literally just started. You don't want to be the guy who's like, no, we're done here. Everybody go home. And yet if you do continue and you are compromised, you get knocked out by that guy. It's not like anybody's going to be like, well, he was poked in the eye earlier that evening. Like, no, no (laughs) one's going to give you that. You know how people are going to do you, especially if you're Sean Strickland. There's going to be a whole lot of people just being like, fuck Sean Strickland. He sucks. Uh, so that's a big win for him to, to get through that round, to to completely turn it around in the second round, and to get a finish. We're just yeah. talking about how, as for all the I'm an American psycho talk, Sean Strickland does not be finishing a whole lot of fights up in here at 185 pounds. Yeah, here he goes out there and he does get a finish. I'm curious what you think, though, of what he thinks that should mean. Because mm-hmm. when he shows up at the post-fight press conference, he's basically going of like, hey, I went in here, I beat this dude, who is, by the way, unranked, had won exactly one UFC fight against Dustin Stolfus. You know, not exactly on paper the win that gets you right to the front of the line, but he's like, I feel like I've done the UFC some solids here lately, which can't necessarily disagree with, but and using the reasoning, hey, Israel Adesanya is already in repeats anyway. Why don't you give your boy Sean Strickland the title shot? What do you make of this? Because I'm going to say, on its face, just if if this sport worked the way it sometimes likes to claim it works, no way. There's no way you get a title shot off of that one where you have like two wins in a row and you beat this guy who's not ranked. However, this sport does not work that way. And we know that. Yeah. Well, we had talked headed into this fight about how it was a weird matchup just to begin with, because you had Abbas Magomedov, as you said, who had only had one previous UFC fight. He was kind of uh, experienced in other organizations, but he comes in, he was 18 seconds or something. He gets that knockout in his first UFC fight. Hadn't been out there very long at all. And it was felt weird to inject him into this main event fight against Sean Strickland. And one of the things we had said leading up to this was like, this is a, a rough fight a little bit for Sean Strickland, because as you said, if you lose to Abbas Magomedov, that's very meaningful to for him. Oh, he comes in, beats Sean Strickland. Maybe he's an automatic contender. And as you mentioned, we would all be just champing at the bit to pile on Strickland. Be like, this guy fucking sucks. He never should have been out there. The UFC only calls him because he lives like a mile from the arena and he will always drive over, ride his bike over and engage in the fight. But if Sean Strickland wins, we said before the fight, what does that even mean? He beats a guy who is not even basically in the UFC, unranked, no Wikipedia page. What does Sean Strickland get out of that? But here we are after the thing where we are reminded, I think, that Sean Strickland is actually pretty good, despite the fact that he doesn't get many stoppage victories. He is eight and two in his last 10. Those losses are to Alex Pereira, which was an ugly one, and Jared Cannonier, which was a split decision. But otherwise, he's beat everybody he has fought in the UFC since 2018. And you can't let Sean Strickland stand there and be Sean Strickland in front of you. He's, you start doing that, he's going to start, he's the drop of water that ends up making a huge hole in the rock. Because he's going to just start chipping away at you and eventually 
he's going to overcome your cardio and your defense and he's going to win. He actually makes kind of a good point about Israel Adesanya. Yeah. Right? Israel Adesanya has already defeated number one contender uh, Alex Pereira. Those guys had their their little series, and, and Israel Adesanya won the last one, and now Pereira's going up to 205. He's already defeated Robert Whitaker. He's already defeated Jared Cannonier. He's already defeated Marvin Vittori. He's already defeated Paulo Costa. He's right now essentially trying to, he, as the champion, he is essentially trying to pick a fight with DDP because that's the only guy left that he hasn't beat. It's crazy to say that Sean Strickland is a contender or a top contender or that he should fight Israel Adesanya. And that's like a low wattage pay-per-view if you do it, right? Sean Strickland versus Israel Adesanya is not going to move many units. However, is it that crazy considering where we're at at middleweight, considering Sean Strickland's recent record, considering who we going to get to fight Israel Adesanya aside from that? Is it that crazy? I think a lot depends on what happens this weekend. Because if DDP goes out there and beats Bobby Knuckles, then you make that title fight immediately. DDP yeah. versus Adesanya. I already got a little bit of heat going there. Plus, I don't know if you check the betting odds, but let's just say people are not exactly expecting DDP to win this one. It's a tough fight for him against Robert Whitaker. I mean, Robert Whitaker is going to be a tough fight for absolutely anybody, but... Especially this one, the he he comes in as like a three to one underdog, according to most books. Uh, Robert Whitaker as high as four to one favorite. So if you do win that one, that's a big deal. To beat Robert Whitaker, I think immediately gets you into a title shot there. However, say Robert Whitaker, as expected, beats Drinkus Duplessis. Now. In that situation, you've just taken one of the more interesting, fresh contenders for Israel Asanya off the board, for the time being anyway. And so then a Sean Strickland title fight starts to seem a little less insane and a little more like, well, okay, if we want to do something new, here's a chance. But then imagine you're Robert Whitaker, where you're like, okay, so I'm just going to have to fight every top contender to prove to you guys that he does not deserve a title shot. And my reward for that will be six months from now, you'll offer me another one. Because yeah. he's got to be thinking, hey, okay, I beat these guys, you know. Uh, he he has proven over and over again that except for Israel Adesanya, he's pretty much the best guy in the division. And, then, and he came really close to beating Israel Adesanya in the rematch. You know, those fights are only getting closer the more they have them. And yet, people are going to be like, oh, we don't want to see a third one when you're 0-2 against the guy, but we'll let you fight all the other top contenders in the division without getting any of the rewards for what that's supposed to mean. Meanwhile, Sean Strickland can fight a guy who's not ranked, get on the mic afterwards, uh, you know, in front of 40 people at the apex and talk himself into a, a title fight. Man, Robert Whitaker would be throwing his fucking Xbox controller. <laughs> yeah, I think, but I think that's what you got to do, right? It's either the Robert Whitaker DDP winner or Sean Strickland, and I think probably the the first option is is preferable, even though Israel Adesanya has already beat Bobby Knuckles twice. But yeah, no, I mean, sh I, if you would have told me leading up to this fight, that on Monday I would be sitting here making even a half-hearted appeal about Sean Strickland's fitness as a top middleweight contender, I would have told you that either you were fucking crazy or I was still on drugs. Uh, but here I am. I don't know, man. 
I I don't love it. I I don't know that I would buy the pay-per-view, but also either that or you're going to do something crazy with Israel Asanya, right? Either it's another light heavyweight fight or I don't know. I don't know what to do. You're in a tough spot a little bit there. Still on drugs is what the man says the Monday morning after his wife's 45th birthday party. Telling on himself a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Well, at least I'm not telling on you. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll move on to round number two. Ben, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week? Chad, I'm going to read you a quote, and then I'm going to tell you who it's from and who it's referring to. And if you haven't already encountered this quote in your life today, there's no way that you will guess the people involved based on the quote because it goes like this. So it's a game show. We're doing a game show type experience here. Quote, I'd destroy him in my prime. If we fought right now, he beats me. But in my prime, if we could go back in time and I'm in my prime, he's in his prime, I'd destroy him. He's too wild. I was more of a technical striker than he is. Chad, what would you say if I told you that was Tim Sylvia talking about Francis Ngannou? What? I was going to say, we're not in another Chuck Liddell, John Jones conversation, are we here? Because we've already heard that one. This one is much crazier, much crazier. This one makes that one sound entirely reasonable. (laughs) This is Tim Sylvia talking to submission radio saying, also, I don't think Francis is that good. He says, he's a monster with heavy hands, but his punches come from his hips and he swings wild and crazy. He hits you, you're going to sleep. But a technical fighter like Jones and Stipe, they beat him again. Uh, Francis Ngannou uh, put Stipe in the dark lands the last time they fought. You saw what he did to Gon. He wouldn't even stand up with him. He took him down. It was an ugly fight. He talks a lot for only winning a fight, then defending against Cyril Gon. <sighs> this is Tim Sylvia, the man who, I don't know when he thinks his prime was, but... When he was heavyweight champion in the UFC, Randy Couture specifically came out of retirement then because, as he explained later on, he felt like he could beat Tim Sylvia. It didn't matter if he was old. That was Tim Sylvia's prime. When other dudes who weren't even real heavyweights who were retired in their 40s were like, oh, this guy? No, I could beat this guy. And now he's going to come in here and talk like he would, quote, destroy Francis Ngannou? Are you fucking kidding me? You fucking kidding me? Uh, and Randy Couture was right. He was right. right. He, yeah, he was right. He did beat Tim Sylvia. Uh, I mean, I guess if you're 400 pound slap fighter Tim Sylvia, you might as well just say whatever, right? Like, it eh, doesn't matter. Just, well, uh, yeah, I could beat fucking Jesus Christ himself in, a, in an MMA fight in my prime. No, why not? Just say it. Doesn't matter. You're 400 pound slap fighter. I would love to know. Just like, tell me when the prime was. When when was yeah. the window of Tim Sylvia's prime in which he destroys Francis Ngannou? It was his eighth fight against Andre Arlovsky, <laughs> where he had really per- perfected his his gangly ass step step jab step step jab offense. That's when it was. That was the prime. It's the one where he outpointed Jeff Monson by trying to stand on the outside and poke him with a broomstick until the judges said, okay, we've seen enough. <laughs> you fucking kidding me. Are you kidding me? Uh, ben, how is Elon Musk going to fuck up my Saturday afternoon fight day experience next? Oh, here we Are go. you fucking kidding me with this shit? I am at home trying to read funny ass tweets about fights. Mm-hmm. 
Trying like to you s- do. Just, yeah. Trying to scroll through until I see a bunch of tweets that just say he did. Then I go and I'll, you know, rewind it and see what happened. And Twitter is like, you have exceeded your rate. Freak. I don't even know what it said. Wouldn't let me scroll. Wouldn't let me read the funny ass tweets. It wouldn't let me keep track of the fights until I was like, oh, co-main event time. Now I need to go watch the shit. Couldn't even do it because Elon Musk is out here trying to get me to pay him some money. Fuck you. I'm not doing that. Quit fucking up my fight night experience, you dumb motherfucker. That's all I want to do is just scroll the shit and read the funny tweets. And now you're going to stop me from doing that. You already took away everybody's blue check mark. You already made it so we can write a tweet that's uh, you can fucking Moby Dick. You can put Moby Dick in a tweet now because you can write fucking eight million words. Now you're like, no, you cannot scroll during a fight and read the funny tweets and find out when someone is dead. You cannot do. Are you fucking kidding me? It was the only thing Twitter was good for anymore was me reading funny tweets on fight night. And now I can't even do that. How dare you, sir? How dare you? Are you fucking kidding me? You notice now that seems to be gone. It was a thing that he was. He can't even just admit, just be like, hey, guys, I fucked up. (laughs) Twitter not going to work today very well because I fucked up. Basically, when I came in here and started firing everybody and not paying our bills, uh, maybe that was a mistake because this shit doesn't really work very well anymore. He couldn't say that. Instead, he had to act like it was a thing he was doing on purpose temporarily limiting people to reading like 600 tweets or whatever. Uh, and then now it's back to normal. Just say you fucked up, man. Just say you fucked up. Like yeah. to quote, get shorty. You're trying to tell us that you fucked up without sounding stupid. And that's tough to do. Yeah. I mean, there and there's still dudes that will stand for this guy on the internet, basically mm-hmm. trying to pretend like this is some grand plan of elon musk's like he's oh he's he's gonna spring it on us any moment business genius elon musk any moment is gonna be like ha ha it was the long con here's what it was from the no he's a dummy he is a dummy and he keeps fucking shit up business and now he's genius fucked up my fight night experience stops you from looking at the website on which he is trying to sell advertising <laughs> just don't fuck up my fight night experience man he must have got too many complaints from people trying to to scroll the funny tweets during UFC Fight Night. That's probably why they why they took away this this throttle. Swear to my God, he better have his shit tight for UFC 290. Better figure this stuff la- out. That's the least. That's the last thing we want. That's the last thing he wants to do is fuck up everybody's funny ass tweet scrolling experience during UFC 290. He better not. He better. They better keep him away from the Twitter.com during that weekend. Just lock him out of the office. All the interesting spellings of Dreykus Duplices we have to look forward to, you better not fuck it up. <laughs> Don't let him come in there and spill his coffee all over the server again or whatever happened this last week. All right, that's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Chad, the featherweight title that has really actually technically never moved out of the possession of Alexander Volkanovsky is somehow, regardless, about to be unified one way or another. Main event, UFC 290, we got the champ, Alexander Volkanovsky, against the interim champ, 
Jair Rodriguez, who went up and got himself a belt during the very brief window in which Alexander Volkanovsky was fighting outside the division in his bid to become a, a two-division champion against Islam Mahachev. A lot of people still going to tell you on the internet that Alexander Volkanovsky should have won that fight. He did not. He gets only the second loss of his professional career, the first in like a decade in that fight. Now he's coming back home. Coming back home to featherweight against a guy walking around with one of them replica belts. And this one has all the makings of a fun-ass fight. It does. Yeah. It's always weird when they put an interim belt on someone for a time period where you know that guy is not going to get to defend it. Right? Alexander Volkanovsky was never hurt. He was never sidelined in any way. He just wanted to take a fun excursion up to lightweight and fight for the title there and had an amazing fight with Islam Mahachev. But here we go. We got to put an interim belt on Yair Rodriguez, who I love, by the way. I'm not trying to disparage Israel, or Yair Rodriguez in any way. That's a fun fun fighter. He's a great dude to watch. But, like, why, why do you put an interim championship on a guy when you know that the other champ is probably coming back? You know that Yair Rodriguez isn't really going to get to defend that belt. So now we have this unification fight. It don't make no sense. doesn't make any sense, Ben, folks. And But here we are. We're doing it. You didn't. Hey, if you wanted to put together Volkanovsky versus Rodriguez, I don't need that interim title on yeah. Yair Rodriguez. I'd be hyped for it regardless. Mm-hmm. I'd, you wouldn't even have to have the belt beyond Volkanovsky. I would still watch the shit, man. So I don't I just I never get it. I don't understand this. Aside from the fact that the UFC always feels like it needs to be putting the belt on the line at all times. Yeah, you I mean, I can I guess I can see it as kind of a hedge where we went, okay, uh what if Volkanovsky wins this lightweight belt and then is right. going to stay up there a while? We want to have a, a succession plan in place at featherweight basically. Okay, fine. But you're right that as far as getting me hyped for this fight for the very obvious logical sense it makes at featherweight you don't need the other guy to have a belt too. You don't need to have to try to explain to me how they're both champions of the same division, even though one of them has been holding it down for years in that division. And the interim in which the guy won the interim belt was like 15 minutes. It, it is unnecessary. And yet, if they if it allows them to keep it straight in their minds, give this guy a thing that shows he's next in line, give more gold to put on the poster, fine, whatever, I guess. Uh, I would hope it means he's getting points on the pay-per-view if you're going to walk in there with some form of UFC title. It does seem to me stylistically like a really interesting fight because, you know, here you got Alexander Volkanovsky yet again having to fight some, you know, 5'11 featherweight, like again going to go up in there against a taller person. We've seen him deal with that extremely well in the past just because he's so fast, he's so good everywhere, and he's so smart and is... So good at making mid-fight adjustments and getting reads early on and then coming out and even if you get the better of him early on in the fight, figuring out really quickly how to beat you. And then you got a guy who is a little bit wacky in Yair Rodriguez who you don't ever totally know what that guy's going to do. What do you think the chances are that Yair Rodriguez is the dude to dethrone Alexander Volkanovsky at featherweight? Really hard to either bet or doubt 
against Alexander Volkanovsky at 145 pounds right now. He has been so good. He has beat everybody and in that weight class that the UFC has found to throw at him. But are the vibes a little off? We were talking about the vibes earlier in the Sean Strickland fight. Are the vibes just a little bit off about this fight? Because you got Volkanovsky talking about Ilya Tupuria, who, by the way, flew up the rankings four spots in the UFC's official bullshit-ass rankings before this fight. Uh, so Volkanovsky's already talking about him, saying, oh, he's he's good, but he's not that good. Uh, he's he's still talking about a rematch with uh, Islam Mahachev. I don't feel like anyone is really expecting Yair Rodriguez to beat him, which is always a situation where a dominant champion seems to come up short. Are the vibes a little off? I don't know what we're doing for, for odds here, but just, you know, I'm a big believer in the vibes, in the intangibles, in the MMA gods, what's happening in the ether. Are the vibes a little bit off? Odds makers would tell you no. They are not. <laughs> well, they're not dealing in vibes. No, they're there. not. They are yeah. famously dealing in probabilities. Alexander Volkanovsky, a four to one favorite. Yeah. Yair Rodriguez coming in here, plus three hundred, plus three twenty, somewhere in that range. Um the the odds makers see this as another Alexander Volkanovsky fight where he's He's the dominant champion for a reason. Yeah. I agree with you that I can see, like, you know, if you're if you're a little bit off against somebody like Yaya Rodriguez, you just have a little bit of an off night, or he just catches you. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It could always happen. And yet if there's somebody who has seemed just so solid and consistent, especially at an extremely high level of competition for years now, it's Alexander Volkanovsky. Like even that one going up there against Islam Mahachev, you can see that even if he's dealing with bigger fighters, dealing with size and strength disadvantages, he's A, so tough to put away, so resilient, bounces back even when you catch him very quickly, and uh, is just so good at finding a way, if you give him enough time, to get to you sooner or later. And, you know, if there had been one more round in that fight with Islam Mahachev, who knows? Maybe he's a lightweight hit champion right now. Like, dealing with that guy, like, I guess the question is, how do you beat him? Do you think yeah. that you can go out there and win three or more rounds against Alexander Volkanovsky and win a decision? That seems, you know, doable if you can win enough of the early rounds to to hold on as he starts to come on later like he often does. Or it's either that or you catch him with like a flying knee, cartwheel kick, some shit like that. That just you catch him out of nowhere, bang, one shot, and he's done. And that seems yeah. really hard to do too. Yeah. I mean, if you're Yair Rodriguez, you're probably not out dueling Alexander Volkanovsky over 25 minutes. Uh, it would, I think it would have to be something crazy, you know, with spinning elbow like he did to, uh, was a Korean zombie, right? Uh, knocked him out with the last second elbow back in 2018, it would have to be, you know, flying knee, spinning kick, some kind of crazy shit. But Hey, if that's your best chance, the good news is you're Yair Rodriguez. Yep. That's one of the things you do mm -hmm. is crazy shit. So I'm not going to say he doesn't have a chance, although it is probably the proverbial puncher's chance in this fight. 
Uh, I'm just, I'm merely noting that the vibes seem a little off. It's, you know, every other thing in the world points to an Alex or uh, Volkanovsky, Alexander Volkanovsky win here. It's just, you know, the vibes, vibes are a little off vibes, perhaps a bit off. Yair Rodriguez. I mean, after you watch Volkanovsky go out there and essentially undress Max Holloway in the cage in their most recent fight, Yair Rodriguez lost. We're doing some MMA math now here, but Yair Rodriguez lost to Max Holloway back in 2021 he has he has had a, a, a weird ufc career right it basically dating back to the loss to frankie edgar at ufc 211 in uh may of 2017 because then he had the last second ko of chan sung jung then he had the weird protracted feud with jeremy stevens where there was the eye poke that ended their first fight then he lost to max holloway then he beat brian ortega because of a shoulder injury last July, and then he had the submission, triangle choke submission over Josh Emmett in February to win the interim title. So it's it's kind of not like Yair Rodriguez has been blowing people out of the water for the most part in, in his recent years. But I don't know, man, just, you know, talking about the vibes, merely noting, merely noting the vibes. I cannot wait for this week's $20 We Never Want to See Again segment on Friday's Power Hour to see if you are willing to put your money where you're sort of spiritual enlightened type look at the vibes is see if Chad Dundas right here reading the vibes tea leaves is willing to throw some cash behind that and bet on Yair Rodriguez. Well, I think what I might do is just kind of slow play it and see whatever you bet on. And then I'll go the opposite way because if we're sitting here talking about vibes, I will remind you that you bet on Sean Strickland via decision last week and then sean strickland went out there and got his first tko stoppage win in almost three years so i'll just wait to see what you do and then i'll fade that fade the shit out of that so you end up 80 dollars in the hole my man it's right here <laughs> clawing my way out clawing my way back all right that's gonna do it for round number two we'll be right back with round number two Well, Ben, as we noted at the start of the show, the rest of the UFC 290 card is also pretty fun in support of that Alexander Volkanovsky, Yair Rodriguez featherweight title unification fight. We will start here with the co-main, wherein uh, Brandon Moreno fights Alexander Pantoja, a.k.a. the last guy to defeat Brandon Moreno, leading up to his protracted three fight series with Dave or four fight series. I'm sorry with Davis and Figueredo. Uh, so some interest there, I suppose is here. I will just ask you this is Brandon Moreno, the most likable UFC champion. <laughs> you know what? I, if I ever find somebody who dislikes Brandon Moreno, I, I really want to pick that person's brain because even if you are like not all in on this is my guy. This is the champion I most like to see fight. I'm most excited about. I get the the lighter weights don't do it for everybody. I get it, but I don't see how you could dislike the guy. He just seems so good hearted and 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 happy and positive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got you actually have a handful of really likable UFC champions right now 
Israel Adesanya. Actually, Volkan, the two most likable UFC champions might both be on this card in Volkanovsky and Brandon Moreno. A couple of real good dudes headlining this thing for the UFC. But, you know, eh, hard to dislike Alexa Grasso, right? Well, what's she ever done to anybody? Not yeah. anything that we know of. So you got a handful of likable uh, UFC champions right now. Are you putting any stock in the fact that Pantoja beat this dude so many years ago? They they fought in uh, 2018 in one of Brandon Moreno's first handful of UFC fights. And they fought in 2018. They also fought in the Ultimate Fighter, you know? Uh, you'd think if you're Alexander Pantoja, then you might think like, okay, uh, I might have this dude's number. But then, especially overall, I feel like the Brandon Moreno now is significantly different from the Brandon Moreno of 2018. Yeah. Just that we saw in that, that series of fights with Davidson Figurator, just when we said that, he just seems a lot more comfortable, a lot more in control. Uh, he can fight at a really high pace, but also he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He doesn't give you a lot of openings. Uh, and he just seems like he has a lot more confidence and like a really well-rounded game at this point that maybe he didn't have back then. Yeah. Uh, Pantoja also loves the rear naked choke. Multiple, multiple, multiple rear naked choke victories in his MMA career, but he's also dangerous on the feet. He's knocked a few people out during his UFC career. His most recent fights, he's on a three-bout win streak. Alex Perez, Brandon Royville, Manuel Cop? Cape? How do you say that guy's name? Cape? Cape? Cape. Cape. Manuel Cape. Uh, so, you know, he's on a little run here. But again, like, uh, Brandon Moreno may be more beatable than Alexander Volkanovsky, but like you said, uh, he's been very good. That's why he's the champ. He's been very good recently, although... He hasn't fought many people not named Davison Figueredo for quite a long time. Kai Cara France at UFC 277, of course. But uh, it's been a lot of Davison Figueredo on the menu for Brandon Moreno recently. So it'll be interesting to see him go out there against a relatively fresh challenger, although a guy he's fight a, fought a couple of times before. What else are you looking at here? What else piques the interest of Ben Folks? Uh, you mean on this fight card as a whole? Um, yeah. You know that you're not going to have Bobby Knuckles show up to fight and I'm not going to get hyped for it. I mean, that's true. That's yeah. where it starts to feel like an embarrassment of riches on this card is that that's the, the third fight on the main card is Robert Whitaker versus DDP, Bobby Knuckles versus a young up and comer in the division. I mean, that that's a good time right there. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Hard not to like Robert Whitaker against DDP. Uh, Jalen Turner against Dan Hooker is also... Uh, a pretty good matchup. And then, of course, you got the scrappy underdog, <laughs> the kid who made it to the UFC against all odds, the guy no one ever gave a chance to, the 27-year-old dark horse, Bo Nickel, going out here for his second UFC fight against Treshawn Gore, who rolls in with no Wikipedia page. Now, you want to talk some odds on this one? <laughs> How big an underdog is Bo Nickel in this fight? Just another rocky story for Bo Nickel. No one believes in him. It's him against the world. He's up close to eight to one. Okay. <laughs> Bo Nickel going off at minus 1,200 most places. As high as minus 1,600 some places. So odds makers like his chances. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, doesn't it feel to you like we just keep sneaking Robbie Lawler onto these cards, kind of like uh, under the table, just sort of like uh, we're not going to make too much about it. We're just going to put Robbie Lawler on the prelims, and uh, and I'm gonna, we're not going to talk about it too much, not advertise it. Oh, by the way, there's a Robbie Lawler fight on this card also. I mean, you'd think with this positioning, especially that you'd want to really mention like, hey, this is how you get people to tune into the ESPN portion of the fight card, right? While you're trying to sell the pay-per-view at the last minute. Because that's, uh, you know, Robbie Lawler versus Nico Price. That's that's banger alert right there. Looks like you're going to have some fun one way or another with a fight like that. Yeah. It seems like kind of the point of the matchup there. Uh, I would think that we'd want to. Maybe get a little extra shine on that one, even though there's, in fairness, a lot going on. Now, if I'm not mistaken, Dana White came out a month or so ago and said, not only is this Robbie Lawler's retirement fight, but I think that they said they were going to put him in the hall preemptively. Like uh, He's going in the hall this week, the hall, the UFC Hall of Fame during International Fight Week, and then he's having his retirement fight. I think. I, mean, I feel like I recall a, that. the the ceremony and everything for that. I, don't I mean, I would I would send a representative. I would send Pat Militich to uh, go up there with a big lip full of chaw and take my uh, take my acceptance speech for me. Now I'm looking at right now. Let's see here, Damon Martin of MMA Fighting. This is from a tweet. From May 10th, Dana White announces that Robbie Lawler's upcoming fight at UFC 290 will be the final bout of his legendary career. He will also be inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame just days ahead of his fight at UFC 290. So last we heard, yeah, they're putting that's got to be a first, right? Put a guy in the Hall of Fame before he's done, just a few days before he calls it quits. We're putting a lot of stake in an MMA retirement. And uh, we know how those go. First of all. You send Pat Militich out there and give him mic time. Pretty good odds that he's going to call for an armed insurrection to follow him to Washington, <laughs> D.C. So maybe not a great idea there. But also, like, I, don't, I mean, that just kind of seems a lot to throw at the guy on a fight week. And I can't help but wonder, are we trying to add a little extra pressure that this really is the last one? Are we saying, hey, if we wait till next summer, maybe by then... Robbie Lawler has come out of retirement and is in the PFL or God help us BKFC. Oh man. Don't even say it. Can you imagine? BKFC probably has a special bank account that they refer to as the Robbie Lawler yeah. fund. Break glass month, in case Robbie Lawler is a free agent. Every month they're just putting a little away. They're socking a little bit of money away in preparation for the day that Robbie Lawler becomes available. All right. I'll say this. So if, if, if that, if that future does come to pass, and you're the person who BKFC calls up and says, hey, how about you fight Robbie Lawler in a bare-knuckle boxing match? They hate you. Yeah. <laughs> they do not care about your well-being at all. No. They no, offer you that not, fight. They are not your friends. Okay, if we're not going to let Pat Melitich do it, how about we send Carlos Condit and Rory McDonald up there okay. in tandem to, in to induct Robbie Lawler into the hall? They can both be like, we fought this guy and it sucked. They can just stand there kind of shaking their heads, being like, this fucking guy. They can point <laughs> to various scars and deformities on their faces that are courtesy of Robbie Lawler. Maybe we get Matt Lidland in there, too, to be like, I don't remember it, but I'm told I fought Robbie Lawler. Don't recommend it. 
Yeah, no, a a Robbie Lawler parade of victims would honestly be pretty sweet. Just a slideshow. Just a slideshow of Robbie Lawler victims. That's that's all we need. We could have a uh, forensic psychologist go up there and give a speech about it. Melvin Manhoff uh, up here talking about how he had to drink his meals through a straw for six weeks after fighting Robbie Lawler. <laughs> Thought he had him, too. Thought he had him in the first half. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's do just saying stuff, and then... We can get out of here for this week. Ben, uh, I know you probably saw this news. UFC heavyweights, former champions, set to meet again in bare-knuckle MMA. So that's a headline that you love to see. We're going to send Junior Dos Santos and Fabricio Verdum out there to have a bare-knuckle MMA fight against each other. And once again, I am forced to just say this week, why they do that this um, come on guys no we gotta we gotta know when to say when around here man we can't just keep doing this with these guys we can and we will just can't keep running the net through the shallows finding whichever ufc veterans you catch and then saying have them fight in some manner a bare knuckle contest can't can't it's just not. You're gonna sit there. You're sustainable. Gonna, you're gonna it's act like you don't want to see this when that when that when it when the time comes. You're gonna be up there on your high horse, be like, "No, I'm not even morbidly curious about how a bare knuckle boxing match between those two guys goes." Hmm. It's a, really? I believe it's a bare knuckle MMA fight, so we're not gonna take Fabrizio Verdum's best tools away from <laughs> okay. him. So, okay. So, but still, man, it's just not. It's not a viable economic plan for the sport we can't it's we're gonna it's just not we can't keep doing it now especially toward the end of his career in the ufc we saw how a certain thing would happen to junior dos santos's face every time he started getting hit a lot where it just like just swelled up like a soccer ball left out in the rain yeah i'm curious what happens to it if he starts getting hit with bare-fisted punches you're curious you're just disgusting this week (laughs) Trying to get Patty Pimblet killed. Hey, now this one wasn't my about... idea. I'm not saying it's anything I would recommend, but as long as you're going to do it anyway, <laughs> I have some questions. You're curious to see what happens to Junior Dos Santos's head when he gets punched with a bare fist. You are a monster. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Well, Chad, this week, I'm just saying, you remember around about last September where Kevin Holland who was coming off of that late change up at UFC 279 to go in there and fight Hamzat Chimaev uh, when everything got all fucked up there by Hamzat missing weight and suffering zero consequences as a result of it. Went in there, fought last-minute change of opponents at 180 pounds, catch weight, got absolutely ragdolled, fight was over in 2 minutes and 13 seconds, and then your boy Kevin Holland did one of those so long and thanks for all the cheese retirements. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or he's just like, that. that's it. I got paid. I'm pretty good on that one. I'm good. I'm out of here. Then he was back two months later in December to fight Stephen Thompson in that main event. Lost that one. Then fought in April against Santiago Ponzinibbio. Won that one. Now he's out here. I'm just seeing a uh, ESPN story where after, you know, Jack Della Maddalena, flat-nosed Jackie, uh, lost his opponent at UFC 290. There was a bit of a scramble trying to find him a replacement. ESPN MMA, a tweet. 
Kevin Holland offers a 170-pound catchweight fight with Jack De La Maddalena at UFC 290 while keeping his fight with Michael Chiesa at UFC 291, which again, later this month. Uh, I'm just saying that if you told me back when Kevin Holland announced his retirement, again, less than a year ago, <laughs> that he would not only have, you know, two more fights within the next 12 months, but be volunteering to do two in one month. I'd say, yeah, I'd, I absolutely completely 100% believe that. I would have had zero trouble imagining that at the moment that he announced his retirement. I'm just saying. Speaking of plans that seem unsustainable, that that seems not good for Kevin Hall. But who knows? Let's if you're see. Michael Chiesa... And you're supposed to fight this guy, and you hear him sign up being like, oh, yeah, this other, like, uh, very highly touted prospect who people are very excited about, he needs a fight earlier that month. Sure, I'll sign up for this one, and I, I assume I'll still be okay enough to fight this guy later in the month. Are you like, what the fuck, man? I've, I put in a training camp here. Quit fucking around. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're either, the, either that or you're like, wish a motherfucker would take a fight right before my fight with him. Go ahead. Go ahead, Kev. See what happens. I don't know, either one or the other. I mean, I think if you're going to fight either Michael Chiesa or Flat Nose Jackie, I recommend blocking off some a chunk of time before and after. No matter which way it goes, you know? Yeah. Maybe Chiesa's on the phone with his lawyer, that lawyer that, uh, <laughs> that, that he sued, sued Conor, Conor McGregor. McGregor. Yeah, he's yeah. like, hey, we got to do something about this. Let's get an injunction. Yeah. Let's go to federal court or something. We got to stop this from happening. All right, that's going to do it this week for the co-main event podcast. Uh, we will be over on the Patreon page all week. Summer schedule still a little effed up for the both of us, but we will get back to after hours one of these weekends or one of these Mondays, we swear. Uh, as for right now, though, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you over on the Patreon page this week. We are done. We are through. We are out. We totally know what an injunction is. A couple of guys. Like, we're, <laughs> yeah. we're not just saying words that we've heard on TV. Uh, I wish that I would have had a camera this past week on my tax attorney wife when I told her that I still had the $3,300 that the Co-Main Event Podcast won in gambling winnings at last year's Co-Main Event Podcast uh, Summertime International Fight Week meetup that I still had it in cash in a drawer in my office because she looked at me like I'm a 19th century miner who puts his gold in a coffee can and stuffs it into a hole in his mattress. It was the same look. It was sort of like, who are you? Was sort of the look that she gave me. And do you have any other stashes of cash hidden around the house that I need to know about? Any, any hollowed out legs of a desk or anything? <laughs> First of all, they're called caches. C-A-C-H-E. It's a cache. <laughs> And I will not tell you. A cache of cash. It's a cache of cash. It's going to buy my go bag. Collection of I'm ready. rare coins under the floorboard. <laughs> just in case. You know what? You will find out about it after my death when I leave behind a series of puzzles for you to solve <laughs> that will lead you to my millions. How about that? I will be too busy uh, trying to convince the police that I'm not responsible for your death. <laughs>